to be caught up with him in glory and worship him alone. That's what, uh, that's what he wants. Hey, Siri wants to talk to me. No, Siri. Yeah. <laughs> Siri, do you want to worship? No. <laughs> well, good morning. This morning we will endeavor to finish uh, Matthew chapter 21. And there's a lot of reading this morning, so we will be covering from verses 23 to 46, and we are also going to jump over towards the end of the study to um, Isaiah chapter 5 and Psalms 118, but that's towards the end there. Uh, Verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, and if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? And if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for they count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither Will I tell you by what authority I do these things? What do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. And he said, he answered and said, I will not go. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots, enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent. And believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a, uh, a wine press in it and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruit of their se- in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. 
Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him as a prophet. Dear Lord, we pray that you would bless your word and that you would help me as I expound on it, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go way back to verse 23, where we started, when, when it says that Jesus, He, Jesus, came into the temple, as we learned last week, that there was different layers to the whole temple. And when you spoke about, or when you went to the temple, it encompassed that whole Temple Mount area, the whole 36 acres of the Temple Mount area. And so when one was saying, hey, we're going to temple, we're going to the temple, it encompassed the whole thing. It wasn't the structure itself, because as we shared last week, that only the, the priests, the high priests, the Levites were able to go into that area. That area alone. And so there was other areas. And so when it says that Jesus came to the temple... And more than likely, we are now looking at it being Tuesday from Palm Sunday, Monday, now Tuesday. More than likely, that is where, where we're at. He has already passed through probably the, the, the court of the Gentile area, that outer layer, if you will. And it was probably just a little bit more subdued that day. I'm sure the people, man, they were a little on edge when they seen Jesus show up. It's like they, they probably started gathering their, their, their coins and their pigeons and their, their stuff going, man, he's going to turn over the desks again or the, 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 the tables again. So they're, they're probably going, oh, there he is. <laughs> but, but he probably, he, he just passed them by and he went into and passed into the court of women. But that is not where he's at right now. He probably passed through the court of women and he is now in the court of Israel, that other layer that we shared last week. And this is where he is teaching. And this is where most scribes and, and just laymen would be teaching because that's where the laymen went. It, it, it wasn't uncommon to find different guys teaching. Again, it's 36 acres. It's kind of a little smaller because you've gone into a different layer, a little closer into the inner courts, if you will. But it wasn't uncommon for, for men at that time to grab a pillar, because there were many pillars all the way around, to grab a pillar and start preaching from there and start teaching from there. And so it's more than likely that when Jesus did preach and teach in the temple, that is where it's talking about because he was not a Levite, nor was he from that tribe to go into the structure itself. So Jesus never went into the structure itself. And so he is probably standing by, the, by one of those areas. Now, again, there was a, you didn't have to be a scribe or a, or a rabbi or a priest to speak in this place, although many of those guys had their special pillars that people would find them at because they love to pontificate <laughs> and they love to speak. And so when Jesus was in Jerusalem and when he went to temple, more than likely he sat or he stood by, and, and it was kind of informal. It was almost like, oh, who do I want to listen to today? <laughs> but you can imagine with what happened the day before, when Jesus had this big old hullabaloo going on, the people were going, we want to go hear that guy. <laughs> there, there, there was probably people going over there going, man, oh man, we want to go over there. <laughs> They're probably thinking, man, we're going to probably hear some hellfire and brimstone right now. So they're making their way over there. And so, so Jesus is there teaching, and it says that the chief priests and the Pharisees or the elders of the people confronted him. Now the word confront is a really strong word that is, that is used only in the New King James version that I teach out of. All the other versions, everybody else just says that they came to him. But knowing these religious leaders as we know them now, 
we should. Having already antagonized Jesus, opposed him, challenged him every which way they possibly could, and they will continue to do that throughout the rest of this week, confronted doesn't seem like a strong enough word because they were after him. They did not like him, not one bit. And so confronted kind of seems to work for them. Because we would assume, after our study from last week, and after what Jesus did, when he showed up into the temple and started overturning everything, and we know that they they were indignant, we we, we could assume that that they've talked about this thing. They, they, they've gotten together, they've huddled together to talk about Jesus coming in and overturning and kind of messing everything up for them and for the religious system. Again, we know that they are indignant. Some righteous anger is what that word means, but it's more of religious anger because he's, he's kind of putting a kibosh on, on what they've been doing. And the injustices that they have been doing to everybody else. And so they come to him and they interrupt him basically. And they, and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? Now we need to understand that these religious leaders had every right to confront him, to come to him, to ask him by what authority. These religious leaders are the keepers of the the temple. Not just the structure itself, but they are the keepers of this whole temple mount. They are the keepers of all of religious Israel. Everything that goes on religiously. And so when somebody is saying something, when somebody is doing something, they have every right to come and ask him. And so they, they see him teaching wherever pillar he was at, and they come and they interrupt him. He has a, I'm, I could imagine he has a crowd around him that really wants to hear some more of that hell, hellfire and brimstone because they've seen him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so they've come and they've surrounded him. And so I'm sure when they showed up, they're going, there's a big crowd. He's probably right there. Now, he is probably, as he is teaching, looking more like the lamb that would be slain. And I say that because Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that is the week that we are in, the Passover. And just like every Passover lamb, it has to be observed, even within the house of God. And so he is back in the house of God, in that general area, and he is more like the lamb that will be slain, and people are observing him. And these religious leaders are coming to test him, to make sure. They don't know that. (laughs) But that's what's literally happening. So they are questioning his authority. Mainly because they themselves know that they haven't given him any authority. Any kind of authority. They have never recognized him as anyone with authority. And so they figure that they will come in and question him on that authority. Which is interesting because the common people that heard him gladly considered him of one, as one who, who would have authority. Because if you remember way, way back in Matthew 7, at the end of the Beatitudes, when it says, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teachings. For he taught them as one having authority and not like the scribes. Which is interesting because the scribes had the authority. They were given this kind of authority. But Jesus never went through their little schooling. They never approved of Jesus. And yet the common people, they looked at him because of the love and compassion that flowed through him that was really different from the religious system. They looked at him and and they knew the words that were coming out of his mouth were pure love. And what they didn't quite understand, even though they would call him son of David and call him and give him all all the acolytes that, that were attributed to him, they were hearing the very word of God. 
And they received it. And they said, man, it's nothing like what we hear from these religious leaders. Because all of that is outward. Nothing ever came from the heart with those guys. And so we know that the people thought of him, or what they thought of him, and I'm sure it made the religious leaders even more upset that they looked at him as one who had authority. And this just kind of added to the disdain, the contempt, the derision that they had for him. And ever since Jesus had come in, in that time frame, a week or so before, ever since he came in and he raised Lazarus from the dead, it has been Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all day long, 24-7. And I'm sure they're up to here with this Jesus guy who has come in and he's doing these crazy miracles and they've heard about all the crazy miracles he has done, but in their midst, basically, a couple miles away, he has risen Lazarus from the dead. And this has just blown up on them. And they know what's happening and what's coming around. And so they come and they, they, they ask him, they confront him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? And by these things, it's not just the overturning of the tables, but it also encompasses his, his triumphal entry and how all of that came down. The, the fact that he let them Treat him as a king. The fact that they understood the whole, you know, the whole Isaiah 9-9, they understood that. And so they're going, wait a minute, man. Why? Who gave you that authority to, to act like that? Because they knew the scriptures all the way through. The fact that people were acknowledging him as being the son of David and they understood what that title meant. And on top of that, after turning, overturning the, the tables, in their very midst, he heals people. He heals the blind and the lame right in front of them. And on top of that, I'm sure they heard about the fig tree that I'm sure many of these guys went to and grabbed the fruit off, off of it, that it withered. And now he is there teaching, and I'm sure he had bigger crowds than any other stinking scribe around there because he taught as one who had authority. And I'm sure he had taught them before but it's all coming to a head right now. And now, because of their indignation that is driving them to the point that they want to destroy him, as Mark's gospel puts it, so asking him about his authority would be the best way for them to come and confront him. And that word authority means jurisdiction. By what jurisdiction? It means liberty, power, right, strength. By what authority, what jurisdiction, what liberty do you have to be able to come in and just do this? So if they, they themselves have not given him this authority and all of this authority, everything that has been happening for the last few days was pointing right to Messiah. You would be an idiot not to know that what these guys are because they're fighting so hard against him it is in plain sight and the common people <laughs> they're seeing it for who he is and seeing him for who he is where did you get this authority that you are claiming and or utilizing because he is cats out of the bag and so they ask him, by what authority are you doing this? And Jesus, verse 24, says, answers and says to them, I also will ask you one thing. That's all. I'm just going to ask you one thing. And if you can answer me or tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. <laughs> I, I truly love this part. I really do. I love this portion of Scripture. Because... Jesus would, would never allow himself to be manipulated. He never, does, he never allows that to happen. Not that he's afraid of questions. He loves questions. But when you have a setup question like this, and that's what they're doing, they're trying to set him up, right? 
It's not that, that he's trying to get out of this question. He's not afraid of questions because any honest question people had for him, he was more than glad to come and just pour it all out. But, but he knows that this is a set of questions, so he gives him a counter question. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll answer that set of questions if you want me to. But let me give you a counter question, and if you answer that one, more than gladly will I give you the answer that you're looking for. <laughs> And so he kind of goes all the way back to John and says, the baptism of John, where did it come from? Simple question. (laughs) And so you can see that this question just kind of puts them in this dilemma, this predicament, this quandary, if you will. (laughs) But it's an easy question. It's not a hard question. Was John from heaven or was he from man? In other words, did, John, did, did God send John or did John come on his own? Now, everybody knew John. He was a hard man to miss. He had a hard message. So everybody knew who John was and they knew who, what, he, what he brought to the table. They understood his message. And when John himself was asked by them early on in the ministry... John was open to say and respond, I'm not the Christ, nor am I Elijah. And and what he does, he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, that was prophesied about him when he said, I am a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord to make straight in the desert a highway to our God. Again, all of that rings true in their little pea brains up there because they know the Scriptures. They know all of the Scriptures. They studied the Scriptures. They taught the Scriptures. And so so you can notice or you can understand their dilemma here because they are now gathered together and they're talking about this. It's almost like, time out, sidebar. Let's go talk about this. Simple question, is John from, he- from God or is he not from God? Simple qu- you just tell me. And I know that they want to say he is not from God. That's what they want to say. But deep down inside they're going, man, we can't avoid what he has been saying and doing. And it looks very much like Isaiah 40, for sure. And there was other scriptures that, that were attached to that. And so you can see their dilemma here. Because if they said, and this is what they're talking about, if we say that he is from God, then his response will be, hmm, why didn't you guys believe him then? Why didn't you guys follow him? Why didn't you guys come alongside of him and start preaching what he is preaching because that was the truth? So they're going, we can't say that. Because if we say that, then we are acknowledging that he was talking about him. They know that. But if we say he is from man, then these people, man, they're gonna they're gonna come after us. Because they 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 feared the multitude. (laughs) They considered him a prophet. I'm sure the religious leaders already thought, man, these guys did nothing for John. And if he would have said, they would have said openly that he is from man and he wasn't from God, then these people are going, that's it, man. He is now disrespecting John right in front of us. And so they would have turned on them. And so they were caught in this little quandary. Because if they say it's from from heaven, then they have to stop their shenanigans. And repent of their motive and their plot to destroy him. And they would have to acknowledge, we should be following you. And so they answered. (laughs) Um, We don't know. (laughs) Is that so dishonest? So disingenuine? (laughs) These guys are the know-it-alls of the know-it-alls. They are never wrong. Even when they are wrong, they're never wrong. They make you look stupid. Because they are the know-it-alls of the know-it-alls. 
And they are so dishonest and so hypocritical in what they're saying right now. We don't know. No, what they should have said is like, we don't want to answer because we don't want to be trapped by you. Because that's what you put us in. You have put us in a quandary. Whatever the Greek word is for that. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) Because they were choosing to continue to reject Jesus' authority. They could not get themselves to fall under that. Right there. And they're saying no. And so they're forced to function in dishonesty, which is exactly what hypocrites do. They function in dishonesty. And so when they tell him, again, he says, hey, I'll answer your question. But let me give you a counter question. And if you answer it, I answer it. And so, well, we don't know. <laughs> well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And I love it. I love it. One of the, my favorite responses of Jesus right here. Because he would not allow, allow himself to be manipulated by them. So because they would not answer his question... Jesus doesn't answer their question. And again, he's not trying to be evasive. He's not trying to to be elusive or slippery here. He's not trying to do any of that. Because he is going to answer their question by giving them some parables. Because that's how Jesus rolled, man. It's like, Okay, I'm not going to be up front with you here because you haven't been up front with me. But I am going to tell you some stories. <laughs> and so, so Jesus is, is going to use some stories rather than just giving them a plain statement of who has given him his authority. And he will come at them in a mysterious, puzzling way, kind of perplexing kind of way. And at the same time, he's going to be strong, tough, and forceful. Because Jesus is not going to play nice here. (laughs) He's not playing nice at all, and he is going to make them look silly. He really is. I mean, when we read this whole thing, it's a lot of reading, understandably. But man, oh man, does he make these guys look silly. And he is about to strip them of any and all authority that they thought they ever had. And he's basically going to leave them out in the cold. Or should should I say, he's going to turn up the heat. In that sense. Because from verse 28 to 32, he shares with them a parable, a story that will make a lot of sense to them. And they will understand it. But he, he starts off by, by prefacing, what do you think? So he's asking him a question. Let me give you a question here. <laughs> and it's almost like, like he's saying, let me give you a simple story. And it's a simple question and I will speak slow to you. <laughs> and so he tells them there, there was two sons. One of them, got, you know, the, 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 the father said, hey, go to work. And he says, no, I will not. But he repents, basically. He regrets what he said. And he goes and does it. And the other one says, right on, dad. I'll go take care of it. But he never does it. And so the, 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 the simple question is, which of the two did the will of the Father? And I'm sure after their non-answer, their evasive answer that they gave him back there, we don't know, I'm sure they're really glad that they're able to answer him right away and, and, and quickly without hesitation. And, 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 and you know they didn't have to go reason among themselves. They, they, I, I think they just didn't want to look silly again. I'm sure one of them spouted out, saying, well, the first, of course. <laughs> oh, so you do have answers. And so, so they give him the answer, and, by, and, and the implication by their answer is devastating to them. And they don't quite get it that he has just hooked them, and he is just pulling them along. Especially when he identifies them and their hypocrisy. You see, these guys, and we all know this because we've been studying through this, these guys were the ones that sat in the seats of honor. These guys were the ones that dressed the part. They were holy. 
They, they were righteous. These guys were the, the keepers of the temple and anything that had to do with religion. These guys were it. And yet Jesus says to them in the story that the tax collectors and the harlots, the prostitutes, would be entering into the kingdom of heaven and they would not. How's that grab you? They got the answer right. (laughs) But the implication was they were the second son, not the first sons. And those who were least deserving and most unexpected to enter into the kingdom of heaven were the first sons. Because he says, John came to you in a righteous way. You did not find any fault in what he was doing. You didn't like it, but you couldn't find any fault. And you did nothing to help him. And and when he came and the people were receiving the message gladly, and you seen the works that were happening and everything that was pointing towards Jesus, when you saw all of that, you did not repent. You didn't. And he is implicating them as being the first son that didn't afterwards regret it. He says, because when you saw it, you didn't afterwards relent. You didn't turn. Because they all saw the movement of John. And they continued to fight against that movement. And all the preaching that was pointing towards Jesus. And every time they heard that message, they fought even harder against it. Even when the evidence showed up in Jesus. They fought against it. And even after this first parable, as Jesus just hits them in the gut and reveals to them that He was giving them the opportunity, even at that very moment, to repent, they still didn't. And because they refused, He goes on to a further parable. And from verse 33 to 41, he shares another parable with them. And here in this parable, Jesus outlines the history of God's people. The history of the religious leaders. And he outlines everything that happened. And again, he is doing this to show them who they really are. And and this is where Isaiah chapter 5 comes and and, and goes right in line with what he has just said, and they know it. They cannot get away from Isaiah chapter 5 at this moment. The landowner that we see in this parable of uh, of, of of the vineyard represents God. The vineyard represents Israel as a whole, as a nation. The vine dressers represent these religious leaders that Jesus is talking to. And they were the ones that were supposed to take care of the vineyard of Israel. And they were accountable to the landowner, God. And the servants that are mentioned here in this parable that the landowner sent to collect the fruit that was worthy for him, that he wanted, that he deserved. These are the prophets of God that he has sent over the century, which the centuries, which included John the Baptist. He was the last of the Old Testament saints or or, or prophets that had come on the scene and they allowed him to be killed. They never stood up for him. And what did the vine dresser do with the servants that he sent, or these these vine dressers, what did they do? They ignored the purpose of them, them coming. And they abused them and they even killed them. And in a couple of days and or chapters for us Jesus says to these very same guys he says plainly and explicitly and openly that they were going to do the same thing 
Because he says in, in Matthew 23, 37 and 39, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under his wing, or her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the end. Then Jesus tells them that the landowner sends his son, his beloved son, as Mark puts it. And, and the landowner says, well, I will send my son and they will respect him. They will figure it out. And they will give him the honor that is due and come and understand that this is my son, the long-awaited Messiah who represents Jesus. So after God uses all the prophets, including John the Baptist, and all the ways that he spoke to the nation of Israel to benefit the nation of Israel, as a whole, he sends his son, Jesus, to be the ultimate spokesman, spokesman for God himself because he is God himself. And in, in Hebrews 1, 3, uh, 1 to 3, he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the, fa- to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And so he's pointing to Jesus and saying, he was the ultimate for you. He came. And Jesus, in essence, is revealing to them that he knows their secret motives and their secret plot that they have, that they have already been discussing amongst themselves. And can you imagine how these guys must be feeling at this time? He has just told them in a parable the tax collectors, the most despised people in Jerusalem, And those people that have the worst reputation, the harlots, they will make it to heaven before you do. They will enter the kingdom of God before you. And these guys are going, dude, we are dressing the part, man. We sit at at the seat of Moses, man. We have it all together. And he's saying, no, you don't. And he asks them another simple question as he's finishing off. In verse 40, therefore, when the landowner of the vine- when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Another simple question. And again, not wanting to look silly, man. They they answer correctly. They answer correctly. And I'm sure that they know that Jesus is talking directly at them and about them. Because we see in verse 45, they understood this whole thing. But what they did not realize was that they were once again passing judgment on themselves. Especially when they allude to themselves without realizing that they were wicked men. Proving just how, how disingenuous their first response was. They were good at answering questions. They knew it all. They were know-it-alls. And so now when you turn over to Isaiah chapter chapter 5, it gives us a picture of this parable of the landowner. And and as I'm reading through um, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, keep in mind just what you heard, especially in verse 33, of what God does for the nation of Israel. So, so when Jesus gives them this parable, beginning in verse 33 of our text, they know exactly where Jesus is coming from. So in verse 1 of Isaiah 5, he says, Now let me sing to my, my well-beloved a song 
of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choice uh, vine, choices vines. And he built a tower in the midst and he made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good fruit, but it brought forth wild or good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will, shall be burned, and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down, and I lay it waste. I will lay it waste, and it shall not be purged or, or pruned or dug. And there shall come up briars and thorns, I will also command the clouds that it may not rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Israel are his pleasant plants. He looked for justice, but found, but behold, oppression for righteousness. But behold, a cry for help. And the cry from, for help was from the people the common people that looked at these guys as the religious leaders and they failed Israel miserably because of the hardness of their hearts. Because they looked good on the outside, but the inside they were full of dead men's bones as we will see later on. And so in verse 42, it says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read? The scriptures, again, a slap in the face to them. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. This is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. And on whom it falls, it will grind to powder. In, in one sense, Jesus is showing no mercy here because of what they've done. And he is coming at them hot and heavy and he is insulting them to the max. He is insulting them by, by talking about tax collectors and, 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 and prostitutes making it before they do. He is coming at them going, you guys have failed my vineyard. My father's vineyard, you guys have trashed it. And he is showing no mercy as he's telling them, I'm going to take it away from you. <laughs> but at the same time, man, he is showing them tons of mercy. Giving them warning after warning that at this point they would have re repented and received him. He would have forgiven them. But they would not. <laughs> He gave them room, but their hatred was fueled to reject him even more so as the Messiah. He is standing right in front of them. And so Jesus, in essence, has answered their original question. And he has done it so clearly by quoting Psalm 118. Verses 22 and 23 that he just quotes to them. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is, a mar it is marvelous in your eyes. Psalm 18 has been making its rounds the last few days. And that psalm pointed to the coming of Messiah. And so... Jesus is showing his authority in spades and he has put down his cards. There you go. Dunzo. <laughs> and 
And he is holding nothing back because he was the most important piece of the puzzle in regards to the house of God. And he is in the house of God. And he has become the chief cornerstone. And so when, when he is telling them all of these things, they understand all of it in context, especially in Psalm 118. And I want to read to you a few of those verses in, in Psalm 118, beginning in verse 19. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness and I will come through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in your eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray. O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you in the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and has given and he has given us light bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar and so this psalm that has been swirling around for all week has basically just hit them right where they needed to be hit beginning with the rejection of what they were doing his entrance as he comes in to bring salvation, the light that has now been shown upon all of Israel, the sacrifice as the Passover lamb, all of that pointed to Jesus as Messiah, who was now exercising all authority over them. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is good. <laughs> in, in, in Romans 9, 30 to 33, it says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it in faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling, stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. These religious leaders missed it, and they missed it big time. They were unwilling to submit to Jesus' authority because they thought that if they did, they would lose something. And yet the last part of Romans uh, 9.33 says, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. In other words, ultimate gain but instead they would lose it all as jesus said i'm going to take it away from you therefore he says i will give it to another and many believe they suggest that he took it away from israel and he has given it to the church but the church never ever ever replaces israel understand that we don't teach replacement theology in any way shape or form The church does not replace Israel because God is not done with Israel. And he says here that he was done with that generation as we learned last week. When he told the fig tree, let no fruit grow from you ever again. Because in, shorty, in 40 short years, that generation that he was speaking to would be gone. And whoever falls on this stone in other words, you either humble yourself under the, the authority of the rock or the authority of the rock will humble you. That's what he was telling them. Now, <laughs> the last few verses, it says that the chief priests, they knew. They knew that he was talking about them. And at this point, if they were truly honest with themselves, instead of being so disingenuous, knowing that Jesus has just called them out, instead of repenting and receiving him, it says that they sought to lay hold on him. How's that for these religious leaders of the day? 
They feared the people more than they feared God. And so I think that the takeaway for us is by what authority does Jesus have to do the things he does in our lives? By what authority? Because I think that most of us would say that we want him to have all authority in our lives, right? But I think sometimes we are being so disingenuous with that. Because by all authority, we mean when we can manipulate that authority to what we want in our own lives so that we don't lose anything. But Romans, at the end of Romans says, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame ever, guys. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your, for your promises, Lord. Father, as, as we look through this text and this, this question, this setup question that these guys came to set them up with, Lord, and how he just counters them. Lord, we understand, Lord, that it was out of pure love it wasn't the right timing to answer them directly because he still needed to be examined as the Passover lamb. And he would die at the perfect time. And so, Lord, we're thankful, we're grateful that you teach us in your word how you take care of every little detail and how you came up blameless. And Lord, instead of just hitting them right in the face as it looks like, you shared with them and you drew them in to see if they would repent and they didn't. And so, Lord, thank you for how you function and how you deal with people. Give us wisdom in being more like you, Lord, and how we deal with situations in our lives. But Lord, even with this last question, Lord, by what authority do you do the things in our lives, Lord? Please forgive us, Lord, from trying to manipulate you in any way that we would fall on the rock, Lord. Because it hurts too much when it falls on us, Lord. And so thank you, Lord, for being who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.